The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So um, I'm going to review a little bit just to... So if you're, if there's, if, if you're really charged about something and uh, you find that bringing mindfulness to it takes you into the, uh, the, the story again and you're not able to, to step back from it, sometimes the breath isn't the best place because the breath can be connected with the emotion. Um, and it can it can remind you of the emotion essentially, and so having something outside of the core of the body, you know, outside of this kind of central area from the from the nose to the abdomen, it's helpful to find some object in experience that's not in that area because that area is where we tend to feel the emotion, um, and so. Uh, hands maybe hands can have strong sensations. Feet on the ground um, can be good. Um, body contacting a chair or you know just just any physical kind of grounded experience. Hearing can be really good if you if you have a, a, a an ability to connect with hearing. It's when you've got a strong emotion um, going. It may not be the time to try to learn how to do <laughs> mindfulness of hearing, but it it can be if you have it available. It can be a useful tool because it's disconnected from the the physical experience of the emotion. Um, sometimes people may find going to metta is useful. Um, doing metta for a person. In this case, there's somebody else involved and there's a kind of a reactivity around a relationship. And sometimes shifting to metta can be helpful. But sometimes shifting to metta, at least in my experience, sometimes shifting to metta feels like a subtle repression of the emotion. And so for myself, I find something neutral to be. The mind is willing to let go of a reactivity to go to something neutral. It kind of like I'm saying to it, you can stay in the room with me, but I'm going to pay attention to my feet or whatever. So it's, it's, it's shifting to something neutral and letting that strong emotion be. When I try to shift to metta, it's almost like that part of my mind is saying, hey, you know, you're not letting me be. <laughs> and so I find sometimes shifting to metta can be a little too far. So something neutral. And then I'm going to offer a... Um, a visual um, meditation for you that is, I think, one of the strongest um, meditations for when your mind is stuck to something and it can't get decoupled from it. And for those of us who have sight, who are sighted, it is a, a very powerful tool. And so we'll all do it together now. I'll describe it a little bit first, and then we'll, we'll do it together for a few minutes, um, or maybe just even a minute. Um, and so it's a, it's a practice of using the, uh, the seeing to connect with specific objects and then shift. You're continually, you're using your capability of shifting attention to pick new objects in the visual field. Um, and you do that about once a second. And what I do when I'm in a room like this is I'll pick any place two lines come together. So a corner, like the corner of that panel, a corner of the exit sign, a corner of the stage, a, a place where the chair contacts the, the, um, 
the carpet, just anything very precise and specific where I can, the, the, the seeing can land on it. And you, you look, you know you're seeing it, and then you shift. And then you look and you see, and then you shift. And um, the, you, you just keep, keep doing that. And it's useful also to move your head while you're doing that so that the, the, the physicality of it is engaged. So let's do that together for a, f- a little while. So pick a corner, look at it, and shift. And pick another place and look. Know you're with it and shift. Look and shift. We'll do that in silence. Shifting about once a second and remembering to move your head. Partly what this does is it's using the factor of attention, which we have some measure of um, intentionality about. We can choose. I'm going to pay attention to this. And yet we often don't have a lot of control to linger with something. You know, like, oh, I'm going to pay attention to the breath. You know, how long does it last? A second or two. But if we have the intention to keep shifting, that we sometimes have a little bit more facility to, to keep, um, keep going. And so it's, if you've got something that's really pulling at the attention, it's just keeping the, um, the mind from kind of going back to that because you've got this intention to keep shifting. If you were to just look at something and say, okay, I'm going to look at that and even try to do that for two or three seconds, it's very likely you just get pulled back into the story. So the, you know, to, to look and shift is really the important part there. And it can get very settling. It can get very calming because you know, you're, you've got this intention and that's what the mind is. There's a little bit of thinking about that intention, but it's a subtle kind of thinking. And so largely a lot of our other thinking will dissipate. And so there's not much else there, <laughs> which is like it can be a relief. <laughs> Hang on, let me turn this off. If there's a strong emotion going, one thing that we can know about emotions and the way they work kind of biochemically, at least I understand this from, um, from reading a book by a neurobiologist, uh, Jill Bolte-Taylor. Some of you may have read this book, My Stroke of Insight. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. But there's just this little piece in there where she knows something about the neurobiology of the way you know, emotional reactions work. And the, that when there's an emotional reaction, there's a release of hormones into our system. Um, and so it's kind of like we've pushed the button and those hormones get released. And if you aren't continually pushing that button with more thoughts, because it's essentially each of those thoughts is like a button push. But if you aren't pushing the button, she says that the flush of hormones through the system will last for 90 seconds, a minute and a half. And so if you can do this for even two minutes, you might get to the place where that emotion really settles. And then, you know, of course, if the thoughts come back, 
you will feel it again, but, but you at least then have an opportunity to kind of be more available as opposed to it kind of building on itself. So that's, uh, that's just a little bit of uh, information to support the kind of like, okay, can I do this for 90 seconds? Um, and if you're outside, what I find is looking, again, finding something specific to look at so that it's not just a kind of a, a kind of a doing this, but you, you land on something. And I like the counting idea. That, that might be helpful for some of you. Um, you I, I find for myself, I look at like I may look at a particular leaf or a crook of a tree or, um, you know, some patch of light or something that outside it can actually be very lovely to do this because you're kind of in nature. And um, so... I'm going to record this part. Sometimes underneath our um, difficult emotions, um, in particular something like wanting to be right, is a, um, a feeling of wanting to be seen. And this is connected, I think, to a very human uh, kind of need for connection, a need, a, a human... Uh, we, we need to be connected as human beings. If we weren't, we would die. So there's a kind of a uh, an underlying, and I talked a little about this last night too, the, the, the movement towards connection, towards care, towards well-being. That's a, a wish of metta. And so, um, you know, sometimes we might um, find that wanting to be seen um, and what we are hoping or expecting is that somebody else will see us. We, you know, we, we want to belong, we want to be seen, and um, we think that the way to be okay or to feel that connection is to have somebody else give it to us. And, um, and, and certainly there is that kind of interrelational connection that does happen between people, but we can't control what other people do. And, and yet what, what we often miss is that being present for ourselves is, is probably the, one of the deepest forms of connection there is. It's a very deep form of love for ourselves to be willing to, be, to witness. Oh, wanting to be seen is is what's going on. Wanting that connection. That's what's happening here. The feeling of that, that pull towards, towards wanting to be recognized, acknowledged. Um, and we can see ourselves with mindfulness in a way that nobody else can. And what I found in my own experience through... It was it was a situation where it was a situation of unrequited love, and I had a very strong pull towards this person, and and felt like you know I wanted something in return, and yet I knew I knew that that person wasn't interested, and so it was a it was you know I I was you know feeling my feelings of wishing for that connection, and knowing that that person didn't wish that kind of connection back, and at some point at some point I recognized that. I felt like that wish for connection was inappropriate. Like, I'm supposed to stop having that wish for connection because it's not returned. And so I noticed that. I noticed that, wow, you know, I'm trying to repress or stop that, that wish or that pull for connection. And at some point, there was a, a, a feeling of fear 
around that wish. It's like if I, if I keep having that wish, then I don't know what I was afraid of, but I recognized there was some kind of fear associated with that. And as that fear became clear and obvious, the fear fell away. And there was just that experience of connection. And the connection in that case was, was the metta. It was, it was just a pure wish for that person's well-being without any feeling of needing anything back. So it's just this open-hearted sense of connecting to someone. This, in this case, not even, you know, not even you know, seeing myself, you know, connecting so much to myself. It was more feeling that wish or wish for well-being for somebody else. Um, and the surprising thing about that in that moment was that the feeling that that created in my heart, the, the thought that arose in that moment was, oh, this is the feeling I've been looking for. This is what I've been wanting somebody else to give me. You know, this, this feeling of, of connection. And here it is. It doesn't need somebody else to respond. That was a real, that was a transformative moment in my practice. It radically changed my life, that single moment, to open to that, that feeling of that wish for connection, even though it wasn't being returned. And to, it began, it it began to touch in underneath to that deeper meta uh, connection and, and really open to that. And that, that gave me the understanding that there's so much of what we're looking for from other people. You know, what we think is only possible for us if somebody else gives it to us. And it's just not true. You know, that, that the, the practice of mindfulness can open us to connection in a way and to connecting to ourselves that nobody else can offer us. It's essentially we, we belong to ourselves in a way that is very transformative. So exploring the, the topic of, of seeing and how in doing walking meditation the, the mind gets um, very easily pulled out into thinking about what we're seeing. That, that can happen for quite a few of us. It's not, it's not, you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone in that. Um, and so, you know, the, the, um, this is a very natural function of our mind. And what I'd say, too, is that being, becoming familiar, so just maybe a little bit of, of inspiration to continue trying to practice with it as opposed to having the view that, well, I notice, one, one approach might be, well, I notice that when I do the seeing meditation that there's a lot of thinking, so I shouldn't do seeing meditation. Um, I should do something else to settle the mind. And yet that, that you know, that, area, that edge of, um, of noticing how the mind gets pulled out in that is, is a possibility. You've, you've witnessed this is what happens. You, you can articulate it. It's like you didn't just say, when I, when I, I do seeing, I just, I get, you know, I can't do that. I get lost in thought. You could tell me what happened. So you, you notice that, you know, the seeing, you, you even could describe some of the kinds of thoughts that were happening. So there's some awareness there. You're aware of that the attention is drawn there and that the, there's a thought that's triggered. And 
what what tends to happen is that we we aren't consciously recognizing oh looking thinking and 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 the 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 thinking tends or a thought you know a thought tends to proliferate into thinking but if we can recognize oh um looking and then notice the thoughts without having an idea that it's a problem. I mean, thoughts are not our enemy, especially in daily life practice. Um, we, uh, we can become aware of thought. And it sounds like this is actually a good edge for you to explore that possibility of not feeling like you have to hold the mind still in order to be mindful. But that um, you can explore, oh, you know, seeing how the attention shifts that I talked about that part on, on Sunday, the, the distinction between seeing and looking. Do you remember that part? Um, so sometimes you might just recognize or be curious about the looking when the attention shifts. Because as soon as the attention shifts, that's probably when the thinking is going to start. And so you might be able to you know, just acknowledge, oh, looking, oh, looking, looking. And and you don't you don't have to try to stop the thoughts, but looking, oh thinking, oh looking, oh thinking, and then maybe noticing the feeling of interest because often there is interest in in there, which is that's I think the interest can be the hook, <laughs> the interest can be where our mind goes. Oh yeah, let me go there without being able to be present for it. But again, it's not inherently anything that's happening that is creating, that is making you not be mindful. It is mostly habit. There's nothing in what you describe that's not possible to be mindful of. It's just a habit or that, you, that the, the mind hasn't quite cultivated the, the, the skill of the mindfulness in that yet. And so in this kind of activity of doing the shifting while walking, seeing, hearing, moving, touching. You know, for that 30 seconds or, or even 5 or 10 seconds of seeing, that's a really interesting opportunity for you to begin to, knowing this happens, being interested in that process of attention shifts, thoughts happen. And, and, and you might use the noting with that. Looking, thinking, and see if that supports the ability to to be there with it. You don't have to stop the thinking. Um, and yet, if you notice that a thought arises, you may you may at times you may notice that the subsequent thoughts don't arise, and so it can feel like the thinking um, stops when we notice the thinking. Um, this movement from Um, you know, when the attention shifts. So in the seeing practice, we're noticing how the the attention shifts from uh, visual object to visual object. In hearing, we may notice how the attention shifts from sound to sound. In our meditation, this, so this practice in, the, in that walking practice of noticing the shift of attention is really supportive uh, to get familiar with recognizing, you know, paying attention to this thing and, oh, suddenly paying attention to something else. It's, it happens um, usually not because I've decided whatever I think I am 
that, that I've chosen to do something. Often, often the feeling of self or the feeling of, of who I am is, is connected with this thing that I'm, I'm looking at. And yet then suddenly, or you know, whatever this is, and then suddenly the attention goes someplace else. It's like, well, who did that? You know, I, I didn't choose to shift my attention. But as I described the other day, it might be a movement. You know, when movement happens, our, our eyes almost will very naturally orient to that. Or a splotch of color, you know, something new in the visual field will, it's, it's natural for us as human beings to orient to those things. We don't need a sense of self to do that. <laughs> our system will do that for us. And so, um, you know, that shift from one experience to another, the shifting of attention is a very natural human phenomenon. And yet what often happens is that we don't notice, you know, it's like we're kind of identified with being with this thing, and then we may not kind of notice that the attention shifts. Um, And that's often where the mindfulness will get lost. In sitting meditation, this this is kind of what I've noticed, is that I'm sitting and I'm paying attention to the breath, and then, you know, suddenly I'll be lost. If I watch the process, what often happens, the, the, the getting lost is often that some experience arises that the attention is drawn to, whether it's something inside or outside. You know, it may be, it may be a sound outside, it may be a body sensation, it may be the arising of a thought. And, and so I'm paying attention to the breath and then something else arises that the attention is going, oh, that looks important, I better notice that. And there's, there's not the awareness of the shift of attention. And that's where the mind tends to get lost. That's where thinking tends to start. And so if you can get familiar with the way it feels for the attention to be shifting, then essentially you can get curious about, oh, you know, settle back, let go of the control of, of being the one directing the attention and say, okay, system, I'll let you decide what we're paying attention to. And I'll just follow. I'll like, like, you know, it's like when I described this to one of my teachers, this kind of following the attention, he said, the Sayadawutajaniya said, oh yeah, it's like a dog on a leash. You know, you, 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 just, you just, you know, the dog is going to go off and like sniff that thing and go over there and look at that thing and it's like jumping around everywhere. And you're just holding on to the leash. You know, you, you, you just want to make sure the dog doesn't run away. And so it's just that way. It's like following, following the attention. So that's, a, that's a, a possibility in that exploration for those little short times when you're doing the, the seeing. Um, and just see what happens with that. Something. So um, there was a comment about um, in the orientation, and, and I'd say for uh, for many of us in in um, different sense doors, for for some it'll be through the visual field, for some through the auditory field, uh, for some through the physical sense. You know that there's that there's something that um, um, when our attention is drawn, it can be uh, almost a kind of signal in our system that there's something to pay attention to, potentially something dangerous. 
um, might come through this through hearing, might come through seeing, might come through an inner feeling. I've I've had that happen for myself um, around a kind of a, a hormonal shift and the feeling of who something's dangerous here, and it's like there's nothing dangerous here. It's just hormones, you know. <laughs> it's just a hot flash getting ready to happen, you know. Uh, it's just this flush of of adrenaline, and the the system feels like there's something dangerous, and so there's an orientation to these various feelings, um, and. Uh, or or experiences, and so there's a there's an orientation, and then th- there can be, you know, a kind of an evaluation that happens that says, is this dangerous? That that can be a very a very low level kind of uh, pattern that as human beings we orient to. Is this dangerous? Is and 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 yet this functioning of ourselves as human beings is this dangerous? Very old evolutionary pattern, I would say. Uh, is also being applied to our uh, our sense of ourself, our sense of, of who we are, our our, e- our ego, our our idea of who we are, um, and um, you know. So so the the exploration when we notice that we're orienting to something, and there's a little bit of fear or anxiety when that happens. Um, often, what we see in this day and age is that much of what we orient to isn't actually physically dangerous. It is more dangerous to our sense of who we are. It's more an idea about who I am that is being threatened. And so that, that exploration can be interesting to, to look at. You know, the, again, maybe what is being believed here. You know, and, and maybe it's, I need to be safe. It's like, okay, and how am I not safe right now? You know, so, so deepening that exploration, you know, what, what is actually being threatened here? And often in, in, our, in our way of, you know, in our culture and in our, what's happening now, it's not a threat to our physical life. It's a threat to some uh, sense of self. And so that can be interesting to begin to touch into and um, recognize that Okay, so there's something happening, it feels dangerous, but we can sometimes use our, our rationality to help us recognize, well, actually not physically dangerous, so maybe I can hover here with this discomfort. Maybe I can be okay that this feeling of anxiety or fear is here because I see objectively there's not a danger. So that, that can allow us to rest with that fear sometimes. I'm going to add one piece that I found really interesting through, again, neuroscience. Um, You know, I I find these things helpful. It's more like like faith or something. It more like supports my understanding of why this is useful. (laughs) Um, You know, this isn't a practice or anything, but... um, there's one book that I read, and uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting book. I don't agree with everything he said, but um, uh, the, the author is Antonio Damasio, and the book is called Self Comes to Mind. And it's basically um, uh, a book that describes how the sense of self is a product of our evolutionary development. Um, and 
part of what he said in that book is like, you know, in, in smaller creatures, um, single celled creatures in particular, you know, there's a, the, the, uh, the, uh, the whole nervous system or the whole way of meeting the world is kind of on the surface of the organism. It's like, you know, food and noxious environment. It's like the, the, the cilia on the outside of the organism or what's detecting that. It's very direct. It's very immediate. And then over the process of evolution, the, the kind of, um, uh, there's more mediation and it's less direct. We actually have very indirect contact with the world. Our senses are just little bits of information. And most of what we're experiencing is a, a construct in our mind. Most of what we are experiencing is not the actual sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, but a perception in our mind of what we think it is. And um, Damasio pointed out that the, you know, so in the, in the single-celled creature, the protective mechanism for safety is, is kind of on the surface of the organism. And yet for us as human beings, the protective me- mechanism has got many, many layers to it. And the, the nerves that go through our bodies and the, the spinal cord and the brain is an amazing <laughs> layered phenomenon uh, that, that brings information in. And there's this... Um, uh, many of you may know from like Psych 101, <laughs> you know, there's this kind of map on our corpus callosum of our physical, of our physicality. Um, you know, I think the head is up here and then, you know, uh, neck and torso and then back here is legs or something. So there's this like, the, the map of the body is laid out along the brain here. And what he said that got, was so intriguing to me was he said our system actually is designed not to protect the physical organism but to protect the map. And so if there's, if there's, it's like it's so much faster for a response to happen when it doesn't have to like travel all the way from the fingertip up into the brain. But if the, if the mind can protect itself through protecting the, the hand in this part of the brain, it's a much faster response. And so our system is designed to protect this map, not our physical being. So it's a different kind of approach. And, and when I heard that, I thought, oh my gosh, that's like the sense of self in a way. It's, it's a construct of our mind that's being protected. And, and, and that, that sense of self gets layered on top of that, you know, that, um, that map in our mind, essentially. So I just found that to be a very interesting reflection that even at the level of physical safety, our system is designed to protect a concept rather than the actual organism. And that, that has very profound implications because concepts are so uh, easily shaped and uh, concepts are so easily influenced by greed, aversion, and delusion. I'll leave it there for now because (laughs) it's time to stop. But I just thought I'd throw that out there.